This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say host, but also realtors with Oakland Realty in Vancouver. And today we've got a fantastic episode. We've got Daryl Simpson. He's the partner with Magnum Projects, formerly used to be at Boza and uh, was on the show when you, I think, traveled yeah, you know what? to he, Squamish. I went to Squamish, I, I think it was back when, this is how long ago it was. It was like you were... Knee deep in cement in your house. I poured my own uh, yeah, foundation. Yeah, you poured, you were pouring your foundation. I drove out to Squamish, met with Daryl and Dale Boza, and that was well before COVID, I feel like. That was like 2018, maybe, maybe right. 2019. I should look this up. It feels like a lifetime ago. And it's so good, though, having Daryl back. Like, yeah. I'm so glad that we had him back in the studio. And this conversation was... I was expecting a lot, but it exceeded my expectations. This was a great, yeah, there's, here's a, here's a way to frame it, I guess. After we turned off the mics after, you know, an hour and 15 minutes of, of having a pretty extensive, far, far reaching conversation. With a lot of maybe at at least four or five, like aha moments. Like, oh, I've never thought of that before. I've never thought of this before. Yeah, for sure. And, and we, we turned off the mics and then we talked about like for another 15 minutes about all the areas or directions we could have gone. So we got to get Daryl back in the future for like part two, because there's just so much to cover and just not, not, not enough time for Absolutely. In our show. Right? Absolutely. Exactly. And like you said, we're already running a little long today, so we should probably just cut to our talk with Daryl. But before we do that, Adam, yes, a few things. One, the sold plan at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, the sell with us button, the sold plan. I would say, would you say it's on fuego? It's, uh, I can't even, I, pray, <laughs> I would try and say on fuego. I, did I tell you, I, I almost bit my tongue clean off the other day. This was, uh, it was, it was no. wild. Did I tell you, I didn't tell you this. I no. was, uh, I was eating. This has never happened to me in, in my entire life. <laughs> sounds, sounds like it has. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm eating and hadn't eaten all day. Yeah. Really, sure. you know. You're like, Anyways, I lost half a hand of <laughs> my yeah, tongue. Yeah. <laughs> no, what happened was I actually, uh, I, I have never really bit my tongue, but God, canine, like really through the, like through the tongue. And uh, so I said, so I was like, oh man, instantly it goes numb. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Was it bleeding? So check this out. I was, so I said to my wife, uh, Sabrina, I was like, I just bit my tongue. And she was like, <laughs> <laughs> she she literally this is like was like the man cold thing. No, totally. Yeah. She was like, I just bit my tongue. Yeah, I was like, I just bit. My tongue. I was like, oh my god, I just bit my tongue. Were you crying? And well, but listen to this. She's like, you yeah, like okay, big deal or whatever. And I was like, no, I I bit my tongue. And it's she's like, okay, give me a break. I opened my mouth. It was like a scene from like The Shining. Like it was like really? I had so much blood. I looked like it was like, uh, oh my God, it was crazy. And then I went and looked, I was like, I was contemplating like, do I need stitches? It was that bad. 
and you know what's so this is this is wild. The I tongue is I the fastest healing. Uh, apparently, it's like your tongue is your uh, superpower uh, muscle or whatever. If you, huh. it, it heals really quickly. Right. Go to bed, wake up. Tongue is mostly fine in the morning, but now it's like it's been three days. But I'm still, yeah. I'll, I'll show it to you later. It's pretty. No, gnarly. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, geez, I can't believe I've seen you 90 times in the last two days and it hasn't come up. No. Uh, yeah. But here's the thing. Intermittent fasting. <laughs> the you risk. Get, you get that meal in front of you, you bite your tongue off in, in anticipation. But also, I'm just thinking, I said on fuego and somehow this... <laughs> what was the I connection? Can't, I can't... Oh, so, you couldn't say. I you can't, can't roll, roll your... My, I can't roll, roll your Fs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't roll my tongue. Uh, anyways, Matt, but uh, yeah, the sold plan, it's definitely something you want to download. Really what it is, it's a simple document. You start on launch date. So you pick the day that you want to list your property and it gives you instructions, usually about two weeks out on how to get your property ready for the market. It's a step-by-step guide. It's got a lot of useful tips to get your property ready for market and uh, it's available at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And it's available if you hit sell with us. Yes. It, it pops up when you when you sign up. It's a so direct it's, download. It's a direct download, which is so great. Also, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram, Adam. Yes. This is... Uh, we're... we're we're still doing lots. We're doing lots. Yeah. So check out, check out uh, our Vancouver Real Estate Podcast uh, Instagram account. Lots of stories, lots of polls, lots of reels, lots of threads, lots of stuff going on there. Uh, dig deeper into what's going on behind the scenes at the show and um, some really compelling content as well. Matt, without further ado, though, yeah. let's cut to this conversation with Daryl Simpson. It's a great one. Daryl Simpson, partner at Magnum Projects. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road, This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Daryl Simpson, partner at Magnum Projects. How you doing, Daryl? I'm great. How are you guys? Very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming down down to uh, the studio. It's great to have you in. It's cool to be here. 
Much more advanced than the last time I was talking. I was going to say, past guest fan favorite, but that was when we had the rolling van of equipment oh, that we... Awesome. <laughs> that we met you in Squamish. Yeah, it was way it, more convenient. You came to us. Yeah, it does <laughs> right. feel like it was a lifetime ago, though. Uh, yeah, when we're trying that to happened. figure that out. Yeah, it was definitely pre-COVID. And, um, I'm going to say it was like 19 or something. 2019, maybe. And Adam right. wasn't even there. He was building... You were building your house, I think. Yeah, something was going on. But yeah, that's all. Well, it's good to... To meet you, uh, Daryl. This is the first time I'm seeing you, but I've heard about a, a lot about you, and obviously we know Magnum Projects. Why don't we maybe start with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm the oldest guy in the room right now, like figuratively <laughs> by, by a and small literally. margin. <laughs> uh, I got in the business thir- this year is my 30th year, so I got out of uh, graduated from BCIT after spending a couple of years bopping around in university. Uh, graduated from the commercial real estate program in BCIT in 1993. And uh, at the time, I wanted to be in advertising. Actually, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in advertising, whether I wanted to be an architect, or whether I wanted to be a realtor. Interesting. And uh, so it's funny, right? How there's my career has been a perfect sort of amalgamation. It's not perfect, a very imperfect uh, amalgamation of those careers. So it's been been a lot of fun. Anyway, so so I've been doing this for, for three decades now, been through a number of different cycles. And uh, for the most part of my career, I spent uh, with uh, with one group, with the Boza family, which was a, an honor and uh, and uh, a privilege to uh, to have worked with, with those guys and that family, but uh, did a couple other things before that as well. Worked with IntraWest and IntraCorp before before Boza. And I actually started out in the project sales business with a company called Fifth Avenue, which you, you right. talked yep. to those guys, yep. right? Uh, yeah. So I did that from 93 to 95. Then 95 to 98, I was with IntraWest just as they were turning into IntraCorp. Uh, and then uh, then started working with the Boza family in 98. And uh, the rest is history. Wow. And, and when you, so I didn't realize you left Boza two years ago. Did you go directly to Magnum? No, I went directly to my boat. <laughs> sorry, that sounds really douchey. No, I have a very crappy small boat. <laughs> uh, sorry. No, the, I want, the yacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tinny. It's it's on the, it's it's on it's on blocks right now. It doesn't work. Um, no, I wanted to take a bunch of time and do a bunch of things I hadn't done before. So we we traveled a lot and spent a lot of time with my with my kids through that summer and as much time dropping my son off at school as I could and stuff stuff that I felt like I. Sort of missed out on a bit, to be honest with you. I went very fast. Like the last twenty five years of my life just flew by. So I feel like I feel like I missed a lot. <laughs> and I was trying to make up for lost time, which you can't. You, right. you can't do it, right? You guys yeah. have young kids? Yeah, I'm currently missing everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're yeah. here with me, so it's not a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> uh how old are your kids? I've I have a one year old and a four year old. Oh geez, you're right. Okay. I'm in the thing, so. he's in the midst of it. I, I have an eleven year old, so I feel like I'm kind of getting past okay. the Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had lots of, there was lots of moments where I was there, but I wasn't there. You know right. I mean? And I wanted to sort of regroup a little bit. And How old are your kids? Uh, my daughter, our daughter is Sophia. She's 20. She's going to third year business school at UVic in September. And uh, my son Marco is 16. Looks like he's 19, but he's 16. This 16. industry has a, a way of kind of always keeping your attention almost regardless, right? Like it's, there's always something in the back of your mind. Very hard to be present. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I know a lot of industries are like that, but I, I just, I, you know, speaking to people in this industry, it's totally. a, it's a challenge. Totally. It's funny uh, though, cause I'm talking about potentially taking some time off and going to Spain for almost a school year, you uh, if that. I could swing it yeah. if for that reason. But how long did you take off and, and did you 
you did some traveling with your kids and got in yep. some yeah yep. some good time. I, I didn't take. I mean, I, I was I was always doing something. I have a small real estate project with some partners up near Desolation Sound, so I started jumping into that and managing that, getting that off the ground. So did that, but that was sort of off my desk at home. That was sort of a day or two a week. That wasn't fifty hours a week. That's an awesome project. Oh, do you know? Yeah, it was like a subdivision base camp. Yeah, base base camp. camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, it's gone really well. Yeah, that, that was really fun, actually. Um, small, simple land development, not at all what I'm used to doing, but it was, uh, great and it is great. It's, it's been a lot of fun. We still got a lot of work to do there, but, uh, anyway, so, so I would spend some time on that. I invested in a couple of things as well, which one of them was a good idea. One of them was a terrible idea. Uh, <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> excuse me. Anyway, so I kept myself sort of occupied doing that, but, uh, but no, I've got a, my family has a place on Pender Island and, and, and we have a place up near 70 mile house. So. We like to spend time up there, so I spent, you know, a lot of time up there uh, chilling out and on the jet skis and the dirt bikes and and uh, stuff like that. So yeah, shout out to uh, Tamara Peeker. Oh yeah, Peeker, yeah, she's um, great. Who's been? I think yeah. she helped with yeah, 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 yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, she was one of our best uh, sales managers. Uh, whilst at at uh, Bolza, she did a great job for us up at Sea and Sky, and she was between things. So so she came on and helped us out. And she was great. So very cool. So it sounds like you kind of, uh, you, you were toying with the idea of architecture and all these different things when you were in, in university. How, why real estate? Like why, how'd you get into that, into the area to begin with? Yeah. So, so when I originally enrolled in school uh, at that time, I think it's the same now you could, the first year at BCIT was a general marketing diploma. Second year you specialize, you go into professional sales, tourism, maybe real estate. It's another one I can't remember. And I was going to go into real estate. That's right. Into, uh, into advertising. But there were a couple of things that drew me into the real estate option. One of them was a girl that was in that option who is now my wife. So I met her there. <laughs> she was in real estate. I'm like, Oh, maybe I should, maybe I should go into real estate. <laughs> Good move. Um, yeah. And I had a couple <laughs> of other friends, uh, uh, guys that, uh, that are in the business now that uh, were saying, nah, don't want to advertising, you want to real estate. You know, I'm like, you know, you're right. I always wanted to be a realtor. Advertising business is changing a lot, even back then. And uh, and so I made that fateful jump. So I'm very, obviously, I'm very glad I did. And so, as I said earlier, like my my role for the better part of a couple of decades has been a bit of a mashup. No, dis- no disrespect to architects out there who are going to go, <laughs> Simpsons, no architect. Uh, but but, uh, <laughs> but it's been a bit of a mashup between all those things, right? So... Uh, generating demand, creating awareness, creating compelling stories and narratives, advertising, getting projects designed and product to market and, and, and optimizing floor plates and floor plans and all that sort of stuff, architecture, and, and working with some phenomenal global class architects too has been, was, was wonderful. Anyway, so architecture and then, and then getting these projects sold for, you know, generally a little bit more sometimes a lot more than our competitors across the street that was the realtor part and and uh so i feel very fortunate to have been able to find a career that you know was a was an amalgamation of all those things and other things too but and so i'm just thinking if you start started you you finished bcit in 93 so you've seen some pretty significant changes that's we're five years after or no seven years after expo in 93. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've seen some pretty significant changes to the skyline, but also the way the market works. Totally. Can you talk about like some of the biggest changes you see, you've, you've kind of reflecting on 30 years in the, in the business? Yeah, sure. So the, the biggest sort of observation I would have is that 
you know, everything is going to be all right. Like in a region like Vancouver, like when you're in the middle of it, I remember driving to my first job. It was my first day at Fifth Avenue in August of 1993, sorry, September of 1993. And I turn on CKNW 98. Does anybody even know what that is? Are they still around? Does that, uh, whatever. Doesn't <laughs> ring a bell. Sorry. Okay, okay boomer. <laughs> whatever. So I'm listening to the news on my way to work and the headline was uh, leaky condo crisis. The economy is falling and the new home uh, and, the, and the real estate market is dead and it's going to be dead for a while. Like that was my first time. I'm like, oh my God. But anyway, I, I managed to survive there and didn't get laid off and worked really hard and blah, blah, blah. But uh, anyway, so, so, you know, when you're at the bottom, you can never, it's hard to see the top. When you're at the top, it's hard to see the bottom. Right. Right. That would be the one lesson or observation I have because 93 were leaky condo crisis and it was bad, right? Yeah. And you guys are too young to remember that, but maybe. Yeah. You're too young to remember. That's okay. <laughs> Don't humor me. Anyways, it was bad, right? Uh, and then you then you get into dot com bubble two thousands, right? Right. Financial crisis. A couple of other micro problems in the middle of there. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's been a been a wild ride. So that's interesting because we've been talking kind of offline more over the last couple of months about every kind of downturn that we've been through. You know, it's like every downturn you think. <clears throat> Oh, for this one, interest rates. Oh my God, this is really going to, this, this is a different one. This is going to be a significant test. And the market just seems so durable and like coming out the other side, if we are out the other side at this point and yeah. we'll get into it, it, it's like your confidence through each cycle gets more, there's a bedrock solidness yeah. to yeah, it, right? It sort of calcifies a bit. Right. Mm -hmm. You, you yeah. must be very confident about the Vancouver market at this point. I always say you should never bet against the strength and resilience of the Metro Vancouver real estate market over the medium to long term. Doesn't mean it's a great time to buy, you know, today or yesterday. There are moments when you can perhaps overpay or, right? right. But, but if you're holding for five or 10 years, you'll net, you know, uh, pretty hard to lose. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you heard of that new term, Hoomer? What a Hoomer? No. Is? A Hoomer is, I was reading about this the other, a Hoomer is someone who believes homes only go up in value ever. And they're like a cheerleader for real estate. I think it's a bit of a take uh, on Boomer and Hoomer. Like, oh, I don't know, people that have made money in real estate, like huh. they're just, they're perennial believers in it, right? It's called Hoomers. And I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to sound like somebody who's just, you know, blindly uh, cheerleading everything all the time. Because there's times when you can make, you know, clearly you can make mistakes. But uh, over the medium to long term, you'd be, you know, at your peril, you'd bet against the value of this market, right? For all the reasons that every one of your guests over the last number of years have said, right? Right, right. Yeah. Maybe um, just for people that don't, or maybe outside of the industry that don't know what, what your role is or what you do at Magnum, can you talk about a day in the life? Like what does a day in the life look like at Magnum? Sure. And then maybe to elaborate a bit, if it's a departure from what your role was at, at Boza. Sure, sure. Yeah, in, in many ways, it's very, very similar at Magnum, and in many ways, it's you know it's very very different and diverse. So, so whilst at Boza, I had one client and one customer, and that was really the Boza family, right? And so, and now we have multiple clients and multiple projects and different types of people in our organization to suit and match those clients and projects, right? So, so there's a lot more variation, variety, and variety and variability in the day. I would say things are a little bit less predictable, although things things with the family could be that way too from time to time, and that's all good. But um, so 
typical day in life at, at Magnum? Well, you know, we have over a dozen clients and close to 25 projects in the pipeline right now that we're working. And they all have different needs, different problems, different solutions and worked on by different teams. So, so that makes it quite different, right? Um, which is, which is a lot of fun. So what am I doing? I'm, I'm three and a half months in the, in the partnership with, with my friend George and, uh, and it's been awesome so far. The time has flown by. There have been times in my life when I've worked harder, like when I've had 50, 60, 70 hour weeks, for sure, as you guys have. But there hasn't been a time in my career where the time has gone by this fast. When I wake up and it's Friday afternoon, you know, Friday morning. <laughs> Sorry, waking up Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Matt. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the time flies by. And I think that's because it's so different. It's so, so diverse. But you know, meeting this morning on sales strategy for a Brentwood Tower, naming presentation tomorrow for a client we're working on in, in Metrotown, uh, meeting with, with an architect for another client to, you know, hone their sweet mix and advise on what we think we ought to be doing there, meeting with our sales team and our, our, our sales leaders in the company and ensuring we've got our processes down right there in terms of hiring and training and motivating people and counseling, counseling, that sounds like, psychiatrist couch uh counseling but you know between me and george right like so right. george and i are uh working great together and but also you know you know finding our way with each other george has never had a partner before which is you know he's built an incredibly successful business over three decades in this city and as a fixture in this market and the country doing what he does but he's never had a partner so working with him and developing that relationship and the rapport has been awesome yeah so anyway so so very different but the same, like same sport, different league, maybe. You right, know, right. Not one, not the one league's higher or lower than the others, but you know, I don't know. The Serie A is different than the Premier League in the UK. I don't know, but you know, why do you what do you attribute it to? Uh, why it's going so fast? Is it just that it's constantly you're just appointment to appointment, like you're just constantly on the go? Uh, I definitely am on the go. Um, meeting with different clients developing different relationships and new relationships with new people, both externally and internally, right? So when I was at Boza, I was employee number you know, 12 in 1998. And as we hired people, everybody knew who I was and I knew who they were. And right. so every couple of months, right, you'd add people on and it just happened very organically and relatively consistently over time. We have a relatively small team, 35 people in the company, but having a brand new relationship, bang, out of the gate with people and earning their trust, not assuming that I have it, but earning their trust and, and creating rapport and relationship and trying to understand who they are as individuals and working with them is, is uh, yeah, it takes time, right? Um, sorry, I think it's going really quickly and it's going really well, but it's just time I never had to spend before because right. everybody knew who I was and who they were, right? Mm -hmm. so, so anyways, that's been a lot of fun. But I would say the reason why it's going so fast is because it's just new relationships externally, internally, new clients, new, new team members, and, uh, you know, wanting to be great at what I do in this new role. So I'm just thinking like you're with Boza for so long, employee number 12 or, or whatever you said, you had one client being the Boza family, you know, them exceptionally well over the years. You're probably almost like family in some ways. Yes. I heard that I, a lot. Yeah. You're so, so you're in this very, I'm sure stressful and everything else, but a very comfortable position, right? Very. Like you knew, yeah. you know, so now you move to a place where you got to figure out like, where's the, where's the bathroom type thing. <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, an impressive 
jump. I'm just wondering, like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did you? Why did you yeah. do it? Yeah. Like, I yeah, know there's a yeah, part yeah. where you want to reconnect with your family, yeah, yeah. but then to take on an entirely different position at a different company. I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah, I love our business, and I got into it. I didn't. I didn't get into it because I knew I was going to love it that much at the time. But I got into it and developed a career in it because I was, you know, I was decent at it. I'm pretty good at it, and uh, uh, so I love crafting projects, figuring out how we're going to compete and outcompete with the developer across the street and getting them into market. And I love working with sales teams and I love, you know, going to battle and doing that. And actually, as we got not necessarily larger in terms of volume, but as we got larger in terms of people at Boza, I got further and further away from that stuff. And I spent less time doing the things that I'd love to do. Now, I think for somebody, you know, middle-aged who's, been you know fairly successful in their career there's an expectation that okay well you just become more of an executive you become more and more removed as i did that i became more and more uh i enjoyed the role less and less to be honest Mm. with you so yeah that's 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 really it yeah i i can totally see that you're almost being you're almost out of the what is often so much so enjoyable about this which is Sounds like what you're doing right now, like the relationships, like part of it, the reason it's probably going fast is you're probably having a really good time. Yeah, I think it's probably true. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Listen, I, by the way, I like these mics and I've never met a mic that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, you know, I, I like being asked my opinion. I like offering my opinion. Right. And so if I'm asked to offer my opinion and my counsel on 10 times, you know, on something 10 times a day. I'm happier than if it's once a day. Sure. That sounds like a bit of an ego thing. Like that sounds awful, but been around a while and got a lot to offer in that regard, <laughs> I, I guess, to some people. And I, I do enjoy doing that. So, um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we had a lot of great, smart people at Boza that many of whom, most of whom I worked with for, you know, well over a decade that needed less and less of that, truthfully. They were coming up in the organization and had their own room to, so giving them room to breathe and room to grow and room to have some autonomy without me around was, that's not why, I, you know, that's not, that wasn't a factor in it. But in retrospect, I feel quite happy about that. Right. right. Can we maybe shift gears a little bit and talk about the market and kind sure. of what you're seeing in the market and maybe just a general question to launch off, but how, how's the market? I think the market is, I think the market appears to the outsider and you, got, you, know, you guys are insiders. It appears to the outsider that I think it's doing a little bit better than it is. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat a lot of things that people have probably said on the show, but we live in a, a supply-constrained region. Uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, which we can get into. I have some thoughts around that. But we're in a, a supply-constrained region, and you've got people who are unsure whether to list their property or not for a whole host of reasons not sure whether they know where they're going to go. They don't have enough options on the other side. That's I'm talking about in the resale business, mm-hmm. which you guys understand far better than I do. Uh, but in the new home business, it's the same thing. So there's, there's there's not a lot of projects in the market. So the projects that are in the market are doing fairly well, right? Doing fairly well. Depending on where they're at, they're somewhere between 5 and 10% below where the market was a year, year and a half, two years ago, right? When it was white hot. So So prices have come off a little bit. There's not a lot of supply in the market. Buyers are, I would say, I would say consumer sentiment and confidence right now is a six and a half, seven out of 10. You know, it was a 10 out of 10 a year and a half ago, right? right. 
So it's tempered a bit, but because there's no supply in the market, things are things are moving. People are still getting, you know, married and divorced and having kids and there's life change that forces a differing uh, need for real estate and that'll always happen, right? So there's a need to make moves. And so I think that that never goes away. It just, it, you know, sometimes it accelerates and sometimes it decelerates, but it's it's always kind of there. And I think that's what, that's what's driving the market right now. We're going to have, you know, MLS stats for May will be great. The, you know, the, 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 uh, the numbers that come out in the first week of June from the board will be, people feel good about that. The, the April numbers were good. The March numbers were good. We're on a bit of a feel-good trend right now. I always say that when we're coming out of a correction, I'll say in the pre-sale market, but in the general real estate economy, when things are correcting, they typically don't correct in the pre-sale market until you've had three to six good months of recovery in the resale market. Not because people are necessarily looking at the resale market to inform their pre-sale decision, but because they need that continual reinforcement that it's okay to jump in the pool again, right? The good news that comes out every month is just, oh, shit, last month was good too. Oh, oh it's good. Too. Like it's just an aff- a reaffirmation and a support, right? right. And, and we've had that for the last couple of months. So, so I think things are, are generally feeling better, but we've got a big decision to, you know, next week, we'll see what the Bank of Canada does. Right. And I, I don't rem- – so here we go getting all melodramatic and thinking in the moment, not thinking long term. <laughs> but I don't remember a time when the Bank of, a Bank of Canada meeting uh, could have such a profound effect on the market in the trailing month or two or three. Like, Very interesting. I, 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 think, I think if if rates hold, things are going to continue to build. Things will feel pretty good. If rates go up, and the more people I've spoken to in the last – week or so feel like they might very well go up. Whereas a month ago they would have said, no, they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that could dampen things quite significantly. So I, I want to get, get into that, but I um, first maybe just thinking about kind of how the, I love the comment about how the presale market needs almost proof of the resale market yep. in order to come back. We kind of have the bottom of the pre or of the resale market pegged around November, December of last year. Yep. Is it safe to say bottom of pre-sale was maybe February-ish? Or, or what are your thoughts on kind of when we, we bottomed in, in new construction? Mm, that's a good question. It's, it's so chunky, right? There's not a lot of granular data. You, know, you get a big launch and you don't have anything for a couple months. It's hard to say. But I, I, I don't know. I think it might have been. No, I think it might have been around that time, actually. February, mm. March. Yeah, I would say the market slows down sort of in parity with the resale. But it picks up. There's a bit of a lag. Yeah, when it when it starts that's what to pick we've up. seen as well. That's that's. Uh, but I don't that think we've ever actually <laughs> vocalized yeah, it on the podcast. Loud. That's a very good. Uh, so so then, but if I understand, we're going to have in the the board stats, we're going to have three four months positive. Yeah. So historically, that would mean pre-sale is going to be busier and busier. Yeah. I guess the X factors, the Bank of Canada. Because you're, it sounds like that can derail things in a in a pretty significant way. I think resale statistics and boards board stats and the PR that goes around that and the storytelling that goes around that speaks to and informs and creates consumer confidence and positive or negative buying sentiment. Hmm. Those things will get diluted significantly, either up or down, by an interest rate announcement. I think at this point in time mm-hmm. where we're at. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I just want to highlight what a fantastic tip that is for trying to time the bottom of the pre-sale market though, right? Like in thinking of capitalizing on incentives, if you're watching the resale market. Yeah. I mean, it's a really great uh, way to look at it. I'm I'm not a great promoter. I tend to, (laughs) uh, I'm not like the first person who's come on and said, it looks better than it is. (laughs) That's the headline. (laughs) But what I was about to say (laughs) is that now is a very good time to buy. Right. Right. Like, 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 like developers can't bring product on. It's not possible. Developers can't bring product on and sell it for less than what they're selling it for today. I don't believe, and and you could go back and listen to all of your podcasts and listen to all the economists of the last 20 years and people would say the same thing, but we're going to be in a generally appreciating real estate environment here mm-hmm. in, in a region where costs aren't going to be decreasing anytime soon, if at all, if ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and land costs, you know, land prices do adjust, but, uh, but not very quickly. And you, you know, good developers can get good land deals in some moments, but generally speaking, the land market doesn't depreciate. You might find somebody who needs to sell today and you can get a good deal, but that doesn't mean that land prices have dropped a hundred bucks a foot in that market. It just means you've got a great developer with a great acquisitions team and you've found a willing seller and you've been able to get a deal done off the market, but land prices typically don't adjust. So, so, uh, if you bought a site today, uh, sorry, if you got the land for free and you had to build a tower that the uh, design panel wants you to build in the city of Burnaby, you can't sell it and make a margin that the banks would allow you to sell at and finance the deal for less than 1150 1200 bucks a foot. Not possible. Sorry, 1000 bucks a foot. If you get right. the land for free, right? So you're paying market for land. It's good. It's twelve hundred, twelve hundred and fifty bucks a square foot is what you need to be, and that's sort of I'm using Burnaby as an, as an example, but that's where the market is. Yeah. So, and I, I think you you commented on this a little bit, but I'd like to kind of un- unpack it. Why do you think this the the interest rate movement, or why is this such an important meeting to watch? From is it is it market confidence or consumer confidence? Do you ever remember a time in your life when we paid more attention to the Bank of Canada? <laughs> no right yeah like or, no yeah, or like employment numbers or all the right? all the things like, everybody's watching well, and really the, the confidence of the spring i think was it really felt when people were like no i think we're going to cut rates by the end of the year when when people were talking like that it was like the market went off yeah we were really right. starting right. to right. to roar there right um it's Seven, amazing how it filters through the market that quickly but it's like it's cocktail party conversation now does anybody have cocktail parties anymore I don't know, whatever it's like <laughs> So, so seven or eight year. years ago, it'd be like, did you buy a condo at Vancouver house? Now it's, what's the bank of Canada going to do next right. week? It's like, it's kind of right. real estate is pop culture in our city too. Right. You have to remember like everybody, sorry, everybody, I look at the world through our own, you know, we look at the world through our own lens. Right. But there's a lot of people that have a deep interest and participation in the real estate. Market. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, they're, they're more tuned into these things than I feel like we've ever been in my career. Certainly. Does this moment going back to the to the early 90s does this moment remind you of any time or are each of these each of these moments different you know you mentioned the dot com mm. the 2008 covid there's been some pretty wild uh i i would say that i don't remember a time when there was this much divergent of a divergence of opinion huh. and uncertainty from quarter to quarter month to month week to week I feel good. I don't feel so good. 
I think things are surging. Oh, shoot, maybe they're not. Like, it does feel a little bit schizophrenic. Right. Yeah. It's funny because we were, we were talking before we went live, but, and, you know, there's certain people in our industry who have reason, can give you a good reason for why things are apparently slowing down or, you know, at any, they can talk away everything. But it seemed like the long weekend happened the week after we were all like, does it feel like it's slowing down? And now it actually feels different, but does it feel... It's crazy. And the guy said to me in the real estate, yeah, but you got to remember everybody takes the week after the long weekend off. I'm like, no, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> like yeah. everybody's on holidays. I'm like, no, that's not a thing. I don't think, I think it's right. actually like, right. but it's that granular. And we are always in the everyday. You're like, what's going on? But generally speaking, it does feel like it's very, very spotty and, and sorry, sorry to sound like the old man in the room, but, but I feel like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we looked at everything with a longer sort of arc. So news cycles were longer. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now they're incredibly short. So, yeah, Biden's great. Biden's terrible. Uh, Trump, maybe he's not so bad. He's a complete jerk. Like, everything changes day to day, week to right. week, hour to hour. I don't know. I feel like we live our life a little bit more that way. Uh-huh. And and do I wonder if that accelerates cycles in a way, because it does feel like the this all seems to be happening very quickly. yeah. Uh, sorry, the fact that things move very quickly and kind of vacillate up and down, they cause, it feels like time is moving faster. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. So Daryl, may, maybe what are what are some of the big trends that you're kind of seeing in the pre-sale world, not only from what we're, we're building, but considerations that, that maybe developers have to deal with that they didn't have to before? Um, gosh, there's, there's so many. So, so, so I spent, you know, most of my career... Uh, specializing in high-rise projects or mixed-use urban projects, less so townhouse, although we did a couple of great projects there. And at Magnum, of course, we have a, a wide array of projects. But but in the tower world, the projects are big, right? Big now. 300,000, 400,000, 500, like, like big projects. Mm-hmm. So that creates different types of pressure uh, for the developer. Financing pressure, pre-sale pressure, right? So you got a tower that's 600 units and the the developer needs to get 400 pre-sales and you've got a year to do it. So you've now got to do, what's the math there? 36 units a month or whatever. Okay. 35 units a month, something like that. That is a different sales strategy than selling a hundred units in the first month. Right. 10 units every month thereafter. So it is forcing the, the sheer size of projects is forcing a different type of sales strategy in some cases, going to a more, more of a realtor allocation model, right? There's, there's 60 floors in the tower, 50 floors in the tower, and we're going to go up to 25 realtors, and we're going to give them each a floor, and then we're going to go to the market. And we go to those 25 realtors, we're going to get them to sell projects. No, I'm not saying we do that at Magnum necessarily. Um, but you're seeing more of that, that allocation model, where you're, you're just getting product out the door. Now, one of my goals... Uh, with Magnum would be whilst always embracing the, the, the realtor market, finding ways to do less of that, uh, finding more ways to get more homeowners in, into suites, right? Uh, less allocation, more pure sales and pure marketing. But, but the sheer size of projects has, has created a different type of sales strategy and a different type of solution. Similarly, you know, the size of these projects has created a need for deposits that are 20, 25%, which ultimately eliminates a certain 
you know, cohort of the population, right? Which, which is further exacerbating our uh, affordability issues here. Right. Not everybody can get into the market. Some people can afford the down payment. Uh, sorry, they can afford the monthly service of the debt, but they don't have a two hundred thousand dollars downstroke or whatever. So that's a big deal. We can talk about that later. We've got some thoughts around that. But so sh- size of projects for sure. You know, there's a lot of a lot of master planned projects now, big urban energy centers, right? Um, so it's harder for the most part. It's harder for a developer that does one or two projects every three or four years to get in and compete. So you're mm-hmm. seeing a consolidation. You're seeing a consolidation of projects amongst, you know, the big the, the big five. Right. Maybe that's ten now, but the big five, the anthems, et cetera, of the world, right? And because immigration has been so robust over the last, let's call it twenty years, but re- really, right? Last twenty years, I've seen in my career a shift in demand geographically. So it used to be that, you know, downtown sold for the premium, which you know. Arguably, it still does. And then you'd, you'd, you'd drop down 10% to Burnaby. Then you drop down another 5 or 6% to New West. And then drop down another 10% to Surrey, right? Because mm-hmm. people generally want it here. And as you moved east, prices came down. It's very different now. Now, certainly, it's, it still does that, kind of. But the relationship between Port Moody to downtown Coquitlam to Burquitlam to Brentwood to Metrotown, to New West, to Richmond, it's far more gray now, right? So you see projects like Edgar, for example, Portwood in, in Port Moody, selling for you know well over $1,000 a square foot for wood frame, mm-hmm. right? It's a big number. Well, it's because that's an undersupplied market, great place to live, undersupplied market, great product. Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons why people would buy that. But my point is that the old sort of norms and the relationships from one region to the other have been have been broken apart over the last decade or so. Right. I was having this conversation with a friend the other night and we were talking about the Surrey market. Why would someone pay, you know, thousand fifty or eleven hundred bucks a foot in Surrey when they could they could be in Burquitlam for that? They don't want to be in Burquitlam. <laughs> yeah. Right? They were born in on that side of the river, or their their career is that side of the river, or their spouse, their girlfriend lives there. And that's their that's their social network now. Mm-hmm. They actually don't want to be in New West. Or they don't want to be in Metrotown. They want to be there. 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, and most certainly 30 years ago, that didn't exist. You had a, you had a very predictable relationship in terms of land value and resale and, and condo values between all those areas. And that's, that's, that's been sort of broken apart. So that's a pretty big shift, I would say. And that, so we've had other people talk about how it's the center of the lower mainland's kind of shifted east to Berquitlam or Burnaby. Can, is it just going to be energy centers or urban kind of around the malls? Like the decentralization. Yeah. Is that, does mainland. that continue? Cause a lot of, you know, we always used to talk about how, yeah, downtown was the center of it all. Yeah. And you kind of move from the West side yeah. and downtown out and COVID seemed to really put what you're talking about on steroids. But then yeah. there, there was some thought that it might kind of shift back, but it doesn't sound like, I think that ship's going to sail. Everybody's like, no, nah, that's, that's I think, not really shifting I, I, back. I think these quote unquote energy centers were really a not artificial, but they're a new, somewhat artificial replacement for the energy that downtown always provided. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Yeah. So Yale Town, like again, twenty five years ago, Yale Town was it had a it had a vibe and an energy and a vibration to it that was very hard to replicate in Berquitlam or Coquitlam or Richmond. It just wasn't like that's where the energy was. Right. But now you're seeing places like Brentwood. 
Brentwood. My family went for dinner the other night. We were at Earl's at Brentwood. It's fantastic. Yeah. There was hundred, like hundreds of people in the plaza and it was a beautiful night and people were spilling out and it was exactly what all of those bullshit positioning documents that we create <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, aspired to be. Sure. It's like, oh, okay, it happened. <laughs> it wow. happened. It totally yeah. happened. It, it, it's it's really way. great, right? So kudos to them for, for doing that. But there's other examples of it. I think, so it's, so it's that. So you've got large-scale uh, mixed-use master plan communities that have taken some of the energy away from downtown at the same time that, ener- that, that, that downtown has lost some energy through COVID. And in addition to that, you've got people that are seeking affordability. I mean, let's make no mistake. I, I think 10 years ago, people would have preferred to be in Yaletown, be mm-hmm. downtown, because the energy wasn't the same. They would have preferred to be there, but because at the time making these numbers up now. So, so uh, 10 years ago, downtown would have been whatever, 1,100, 1,200 a foot, right? And so at the same time, they could buy Metrotown for 600 a foot, 700 a foot. So they went to Metrotown because they could afford it. The same thing is happening today because Burquitlam is 1,100 a foot and Surrey is around the same and Richmond's around the same. People are going there because they're hunting for affordability because we have a, we have an affordability problem, right? Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. I like this idea a lot about kind of picking the energy that you want almost from these, these mm. calm transportation hubs, SkyTrain hubs. Yep. It's funny. The other day, somebody mentioned to me that, that Port Moody feels a lot like East Van married Deep Cove. Oh, that's, and, that's interesting. And I, uh, and I was at Yellow Dog not long who, ago. Who came yeah. up with that? That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying that's to remember. I, I, I owe them credit anyways. Yeah, but, yeah but, that's uh, very good. 
I was at Yellow Dog and I was like, man, that that nails it. And yep. it kind of reminds me like uh, for people that have gone to Japan before where you go to the various um, train stops mm. and you have these cities that it, it's completely decentralized. Like if you yep. want a total, like a great dinner vibe, you go to I don't know, Shibuya or whatever drinking vibe. Okay. If you want to go shopping, you go to whatever it is, right? And and that's how, like, just to capitalize on what you were saying about Brentwood, Brentwood feels almost like you're downtown, but it's not, It, but it's a completely thing. It's on its own. It's in its own right. And it's, it's completely, it's yeah. its own thing. Yeah. And arguably, if you took 10 people, five people would choose downtown and another five would choose Brentwood, right? Because it it's offering something yeah. Yeah. vibrant, but completely different. Yeah. And I wonder if we're just going to move to this, this decentralization of, of great, cities right and it feels that way i think so the same thing will happen in surrey i I would argue that it hasn't happened yet in spite of what all of the websites and brochures and etc that real estate marketers and developers have pumped out for the last 20 years i don't think it's there yet but it will be just think about it brentwood it's really only been in the last i would argue it's been in the last year Mm -hmm. right when Earl's opens up and when the the asian restaurant upstairs opens up like, like when when you get the restaurants and and you get that retail activation, that's when it happens. And until I feel like when Earl's opened up there, that was the that was the spark. Actually, right. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm just thinking like in in relation to this decentralization, and then Adam brought up Japan, and you know being in the industry and watching all these changes. We've talked about Vancouver being an exporter of ideas mm. around mm. development, but do you see? Are you looking in other areas are you are we importing ideas right now uh, like are you well i think at different de- markets? i think good developers are importing ideas huh. i mean this idea that we know more than anybody else is crazy um there i think there was a point in time there maybe in the mid to late 90s early 2000s the whole vancouverism movement right, right. right? that was definitely a thing yeah uh and 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 developers from all over North America and, and 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 from wider areas came here to see how that worked. And for the most part, at that point in time, it worked really really well. But I would say that you know the the, the smart developers and uh, marketers such as ourselves at Magnum were well advised. That the successful ones are looking outside of this market. No mm-hmm. question. No no question. Are there certain markets where you're like, man, that's that's way ahead? Yeah, I don't know if it's mo- so much market so much as lifestyles i hate the word lifestyle what the, what the hell does that mean but um yeah you go to go to copenhagen it's pretty nice it's pretty cool yeah their quality their quality of life the way their retail integrates with 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 residential the way they spill on the street that it's this sort of this this clash of of uses uh at least in you know downtown area it's phenomenal you go to I mean, New York is a little bit, maybe a little bit different now, but you know, neighborhoods within New York certainly mm-hmm. have that. How do we create, how do we create a vibrancy and an energy that really creates a gravitational pull and a livability to an area? That's what I think we should be most focused on as opposed to a market necessarily. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an astute point. I, I think not my point, yours, <laughs> that people are looking out, you know, intelligent people are looking more and more outside of this market to see how we can. Right. Because, because we've had to reinvent what real estate development is over the last 10 years because of affordability challenges, because we're going further afield and we can't rely on the, 
on the uh, pre-existing energy that's created from a downtown core, mm-hmm. right? We have to find other ways of manufacturing it. So it becomes more and more important. Makes me excited for the region. Yeah. And Doesn't actually, it makes good. me think that so far it's actually been quite successful in a lot of ways. I would say so. Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. I think, you know, I think we, oh, this is going to sound like I'm totally pandering to like immigrant immigration and, you know, investor buyers, but I think the region owes a lot to people who came here from other regions. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, as I said earlier, it, it, it's caused us to rethink and sort of break apart our preconceived notions about where was a good place to live. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's a reason. I, I mean, I, I think back to like the first episode we ever recorded on the podcast, this idea of a global city, like the global cities are the best cities in the world. And, and I feel like, yeah, like the, what really separates Vancouver in the Canadian context is that it's always, it's, it's a global city. Yeah. But it's interesting that the, the, this is an idea. I don't know if this is exactly what you, you mean, but the fact that for the past 20 years, that a lot of the pre-construction buyers have been from other places or at least lived in other places before they moved yep. here and then got had a different pre- context, had a different context that marketers were projects and marketers were looking at those contexts to, to create the to, building, to, to create the, uh, yeah, the amenities that it yeah. actually, so it's like a celebration of the, the foreign buyer. It's almost like, and I don't mean foreign in that way, but I mean the, no, you know, know, that it's flipping the whole negative context. As a realtor, you have to make sure no one's listening and saying, thinking that you're trying to induce foreign buyers to buy right now. Yeah, Is that exactly. how bad but, it's gotten? But, but it's flipping the whole idea of, you know, all the, all the negative qualities totally. that we've talked about for a long time. I've, we've never really kind of. hundred percent. Well, we talked about this with uh, Amit a little bit about about yeah. the influences that are shaping shaping right. amenities, shaping buildings. But I think if you look at it as a as a legacy of creating great buildings and neighborhoods based on that context, it's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And yeah. I think it's true. Absolutely. We didn't see, you know, for the longest time, you know, luxury specifications in a condo project in this, the region were like stainless steel appliances. Right. Frigidaire gallery with stainless steel appliances, <laughs> right? I'm dating myself now. But when, you know, it's almost like around the Hong Kong handover, like when we started to see significant amounts of immigration and new buyers from other regions buying real estate here, we really did up our game. Now, a lot of people would listen to that and say, well, that was a bad thing because it it actually set us on this course for a lack of affordability and the problems we're experiencing today. But from a style standpoint, from a quality standpoint, the quality has just been getting better and better and better. Like there was no Gagano appliances in Vancouver in 1995. There was no Samsung. There was no Mila. Like nobody did that. Like nobody did that. And the amenities and the retail sort of friction and explosion at the ground plane i think that, that that's what well, we already said it it's driven by driven by great precedents and other areas that people wanted to find here hmm. i feel like uh there's so much to cover still and we've taken almost an hour of your time so i'm i'm how I'm, long do we go for i'm here? gonna we, move this is like the joe rogan podcast is four hours no, I'm just <laughs> uh, whatever I, my next meeting is at in 10 minutes. No, so, no I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I was just going to say it would be a, a miss if we, uh, if we didn't talk about areas you're excited about in the region. Like maybe uh, where do you see the opportunities 
geographically. <laughs> this is where your guests talk about the areas where they have projects. Coming yeah, up. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and because we have projects, you know, in most areas. Uh, well, anyway, um, I would be looking at areas where developers can still provide a level of affordability. It's not easy to find, but um, Surrey, I've never been a big fan of the Surrey market, but I've been proven wrong. So Surrey will continue to will continue to grow. And I think with the expansion of SkyTrain eastward along Fraser Highway, I think you're gonna see you're gonna see a whole new sort of category of markets open up there for sure. That's not today, but you know, they're 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 starting construction on stations now, right? Mm-hmm. If not now, um, some people are listening to this going, you idiot, they started three months ago. But like imminently construction stations like through Fleetwood. And so that's going to happen. That's going to move pretty quickly. Look at what happened at Berquitlam, right? Well, as soon as the line went up, Berquitlam exploded. Mm-hmm. So that'll happen out there too. Do you guys have any listings of any land assemblies or anything? Sorry. We are uh, more Vancouver focused. All right. Let's cut the podcast short, get in the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's exciting. I mean, I think that'll be that you'll look back at that and that'll be a monumental shift in how the story market performs. And I don't pr- pretend to be any expert in that area. Um, I think regions like truthfully, like Squamish yeah. will continue to, to, uh, to appreciate when we, when we started uh, at Boza and we did see in sky, my goal, sorry, our goal there was to have price parity with North Vancouver. In my view, sea and sky or that region shouldn't really sell at a discount over North Vancouver because there's a lot. Of, yes. The land, the underlying land economics are different. Houses are le- worth less in Squamish than they are in North Vancouver. But if you're creating waterfront townhomes with views of the mm-hmm. chief, et cetera, it shouldn't be any less. It should be more because actually it's cooler to live there than it is. In North. No disrespect. Nobody who lives in North right. Van, but it's cooler to live there. Right. So, so I think you'll continue to see areas like that. Victoria, uh, we've got a, so now this is self-serving. We'll, we're working with Reliance and John Stavell, and they've got a massive project over there. Um, right. And uh, and that's pretty exciting. Uh, like there's monumental. Have you been over there recently? Like Langford, Colwood area? It's incredible how It's been a couple of years yeah. since we've been to Langford, but. Yeah, we, that was we, pre-COVID, uh, actually, we sold a lot of units over there did you? in about five, four or five years ago that did right. incredibly well. Oh, really? I think it, some of them were still 299 or 269 maybe starting <laughs> yeah. back then. It sounds ridiculous to say I was blown away by Colwood or Langford, but <laughs> yeah. I was. I was I was not all good necessarily. Like it's it's the traffic is brutal and it's it's pretty chaotic, but like the amount of activity they have there. Yeah. It's, an, it's unbelievable. It's a it's a real wake up call. Actually, you look at these sort of bedroom communities like that. It's a real wake up call to the incumbent municipalities like City of Victoria or Saanich that are kind of no, we don't want to approve anything. No, we don't. Well, that's kind of like Vancouver. You look at look at Burnaby. You know they're approving a lot of projects. Sorry, it's approving a lot of projects, and they've created they've taken a lot of we already talked about it, but they've taken a lot of energy from these incumbent areas. Like we uh, last time John was on the show, he. He talked about uh, Victoria and, and having some projects come or a project coming. Where whereabouts uh, that project is it in in the city of Victoria? Or? No, it's in Colwood. It's in Colwood. Um, it's uh, it's right on the water. Uh, looks towards downtown, sort of around the around the uh, around the peninsula. Uh, we're we're renaming that, so I can't tell you what the what the name is there yet. Nice. Yeah. You know, just thinking of. Uh, and this, I don't know if this is inside baseball or not. I guess everything is inside baseball in some ways. So, Sea and Sky, you know, we've had 
Warren Siegel talk about Seen Sky, or, well, not maybe not that project. I'm trying to remember, but Red he talked he talked about Squamish, right? Um, and kind of the same idea. Like he drove through Squamish and was like, "Why this doesn't make sense? There's something that doesn't make sense here." Now, this idea of parody with North Van. So, so you you see this you see this parcel, and Seen Sky is a, a big parcel, and and it's a beautiful development. And you think this should be on the same playing field as North Van. Just can you talk a little bit about like strategies to make that a reality? Like how does that, you know, often people think of markets as kind of like, well, what can the market bear? Yes. Uh, as if the market's moving uh, and and you're trying to predict it or or, or catch it. Sure. Can you talk it, about the the other way that you're, think, you're sure, thinking sure, and sure. acting? Well, first of all, it would be disingenuous for me to say that that's what I was thinking when the family made the decision to buy it. Right. So that's, that's Colin and Dale making, having the foresight to, to know that that was a good deal. And it was a ridiculously good deal at the time and made better in hindsight. But as we got into it, we started to realize that a market, that the market in Squamish had been for the most part talked down to a bit. It was always looked at as a comparable to Alder Grove or Langley or yeah. Chilliwack or, or Mission. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, it was Squamish didn't really know what it was maybe back then. Is it, is it a blue-collar community? Is it a, is it a Greenpeace community? Like, like what right. is it? Right. And, and certainly COVID exacerbated or made it cooler. Mm-hmm. But well before COVID, it got a cool factor. And so anyways, so as we started looking at it, we're like, well, we believe, and we, we generally believed at Boza that if we spoke up to the market and gave a little bit more, we could convince people of the value in that. And, and we were generally right about that most of the time. Highgate Village, Miramar Village, uh, things we did downtown, we were generally right about that. Um, so we thought the same thing about Squamish. You know what, if we can, you know, if the architecture is a little bit more like, you know, more, quite frankly, mosaic quality, right, yeah. right? A little more fashion forward, a little more advanced design, uh, cooler. Uh, we think we can win there. And so that site wasn't purchased with the expectation of that. Mm-hmm. But as we got into it, things just sort of become, you know, in, you're gaining insights through that. And and that was that was my thinking. I didn't necessarily vocalize it to people, but I think if we keep pushing, we can we can probably get there. And arguably they're there now. So, yeah. No kidding. It's a great project. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's, I remember there early on, they were doing, um, I think it was at a slow point in the market. There was a guaranteed rental and a client of mine bought one. And it's just, you think, you think back to it and you're like, what a, what an opportunity, right? hundred percent. We talked a little bit about this before, but you know, this whole location, location, location thing, of course that's important in real estate, but timing, timing, timing is more important, like Mm -hmm. far more important. Like far more important, right? From a developer standpoint, uh, and from a buyer standpoint, um, when you're timing that 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 purchase or that sale is is I would argue is far more important than the location you're buying. In. And in and, you, and in that in a, in the case of that project, sorry to interrupt you, kind of both there, right? But, anyway. And you feel and you so I guess the you feel like Squamish still has a long runway. Yeah, absolutely. So just for for people out there that are are taking notes and thinking about timing. I guess maybe a comment on uh, the current moment, and and also what what you're looking for. I, I guess as a as in your past life as looking at land 
to acquire, right. but also just timing in general through a, a long and successful career in real estate. What signifies good timing? How do you how do you spot it? <laughs> uh, gosh, lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll answer the first part of the question first, which is you know what am I through? What do I what I think is going to happen over the? I think that's what you're asking. Over sure, the short term. Sure. So I think we're going to go through a little bit of hell to get to heaven still. I think the market's going to be a little bit bumpy in the next few months, maybe quarter or so. But the longer that happens, the more violent and sort of vociferous the market will come back. And so so that doesn't concern me. There is a lot of product waiting on the sidelines to come into the market. And I think that the developers that have the uh, ability and foresight to be first in this next sort of cohort of projects to come to market, we'll find that they do quite well because they might sell for a little bit less than they wanted to, but they're going to be able to build it for quite a bit less than they're ultimately going to have to if they wait six or 12 months. So, mm-hmm. so there'll, I, I believe there'll be a point in time. Like if you look at Anthem right now, they're not a client, uh, though have good friends there. They're in the market selling for a little bit less than they'd probably like to, but they're tendering jobs and getting shovels in the ground at a time when there's a little bit of savings. Probably doesn't feel like savings now because construction prices haven't come off much at all, if at all. But my belief would be this time next year, um, people are going to be complaining a lot about construction costs again. Hmm. It's going to be firing. So, so you'll take it on the chin a little bit in terms of revenue, but you'll 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 gain in, in terms of the cost of, of of creating that product. So. So the first ones to take advantage of that, I think, will be well positioned. And uh, and timing. I think, you know, if you're trying to buy at the bottom, I'm a terrible stock investor, by the way. Like, uh-huh. I'm terrible. I, I always buy and sell at the wrong time. It's not what I'm good at. And I wouldn't necessarily purport to be good at timing real estate either. Right. What I would say is, What's your develop? What's your investment horizon? Why are you buying it? And can you? Does it make sense to you right now? There's been more people. Now this is the promotional side. There's been more people that I've talked to in my career, and I'm sure maybe it's similar for you, where it's easier for them to do nothing than to take action. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmingly, the people that said, "I think I can make this work," have made out far better than the people who didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's my wimpy answer to your question but but going back to what i said a few moments ago there will i I don't believe there'll be a point in time in the next number of years where developers can create product and sell it for what they can afford to sell it for today so that's my long way of saying i think today's a pretty good time actually Mm -hmm. but you need to be able to carry the debt and you need to right but but most people i think would believe that price of debt's coming down over time too so if i'm buying a pre-sale today i'm closing out in four years you don't want to gamble, but I think it's a safe bet that rates will not be higher than where they are today. So in just, just thinking about, so yeah, I, and I, I tend to, I mean, logically it, what you're saying makes a lot of sense about kind of where we're heading in the market. Um, obviously there's been a lot of talk around adding supply and, and government intervention in, yep. in the market right now. And, and uh, singing a very different tune with supply than what used to be, uh, a yeah. lot of more um, demand uh, demand policy, right? So, what are your thoughts on on government? What's going on with government right now, and and can they fix the market or fix the supply issue? 
So generally, I would say uh, governments should be out of the market. Um, so, you know, competing with developers to buy land, buy sites, things like that, I'm not necessarily a fan of. And I think we it's important to, to separate the uh, hard-to-house and drug addiction and, you know, the lower, those issues around housing are very different than a school teacher not being able to afford a house and live in the region that they work in or close to it, right? So <laughs> if you look at all of the rental house, sorry, most of the rental housing built in the West End in the 70s, 60s and 70s, you know, more than 50% of that was built under government programs, MERBs and the sort, right? And those were, those were carrots. They weren't sticks, right? They were carrots given to developers to take the financial risk to build something. You're starting to see now more of that, which is a good thing. But we've got to get rid of the sticks. And the sticks are the taxes, levies, fees, and extractions that make up a third of the cost of providing housing in this region. It's, it's you know, if you were, I don't know if you saw Urban, Urban Analytics, uh, UDI's report a month or so ago about, about this very issue. But if you were to eliminate all of the government fees and taxes and extractions in the city of Vancouver from the creation, the cost of creating a rental unit, you drop the rent on the, on a one bedroom from tw- I think it was like twenty eight hundred dollars a month to like nineteen fifty a month. Like that's significant, right? So that's what our government's costing us to create. So they have a role to play in making the situation better, and they and they have absolutely played a role in in compounding the affordability issue in the region. Full stop. So we got to figure that out. Similarly, on the condo side, it's, a, it's about the same. Well, it's a little bit more. It's like 32, 33% of the cost of creating a condo unit in the city of Vancouver is taxes. Some are provincial, but most of them are taxes. Can you say that again? How much? What percentage? 32%. 32%. Yeah. That's incredible. It's incredible. It's, it's like 300, yeah, it's $330,000 on an average two-bedroom in the city of Vancouver goes to taxes and extractions. So, hmm. So, you know, a lot of people have advocated for pricing real estate like you, you almost like gas at the pump well they don't do it with gas anymore either but there should be a sticker on every on every price list that says we're charging you nine hundred thousand, but three hundred thousand dollars of that went to the government before we got here you know yeah cac's right like um a project i was involved in which shall remain nameless uh paid a cac of 58 million dollars to develop 200 units downtown so where is that money where, where if you read the city of Vancouver's website around CACs, and I think they've made some progress to streamline that, uh, excuse me, streamline that process and create more predictability and stability in the CAC negotiation. They've made some progress there, but the reality is we don't know where that money goes. So you look in the States In the States, they have programs where they're giving developers incentives to create housing in areas where they need it. Now, you could argue that we don't need it downtown. We should put it in other areas. And that's a different argument. And quite frankly, it's probably supportable. But in other jurisdictions, you've got areas where they're giving tax abatements and relaxations to developers and to homeowners who buy in certain regions. So again, I use that carrots and sticks analogy. Like carrots generally work better than sticks because the, 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 the extractions in that you've seen, just it just creates too much uncertainty for developers uh, in a very high risk game, right? You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So, and then, and then we see stalemates where projects don't move forward, or city plans in certain areas. Like yep. I'm thinking about downtown specifically, yep. and 
Yeah. Um, I remember the hype around the Northeast Falls Creek plan, and I don't know how long the, there seems to be a standoff. <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, that seems like a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, my, you know, and I, maybe I, I won't go into it, but I, my understanding is a lot of the, the reason things pushed pause in a lot of ways was because around the CACs. Yeah, pr- pr- the probably. The city, city just wanted too much. So getting, like, getting projects approved and the work that the provincial government is doing, which I applaud them for, to try and streamline approvals is one step. It's an important step, but it's one step. But there are dozens, there's hundreds of projects right now that have development entitlement and approval in the Metro Vancouver region that aren't coming to market because they can't afford to build it. We don't have to, in some of your previous guests, I'm sure have talked about this. We don't have the availability of skilled trades, right? We don't, are we focusing immigration so that we are attracting people that can actually help alleviate the problem that new entrants to the city are, are you know, having a role in creating as well? No, we don't, right? So we, we need more trades. We need less extractions uh, from developers. We need faster approvals. And where we are investing levels of investment from the federal and provincial government, I think we're, this, this is something I'm, I'm fairly passionate about. I think we need to direct it in different areas. So are you familiar with the RCFI program? Do you know what that is? Okay, so no. it's a CMHC program. If you Google it, you'll see that they've earmarked $26 billion of federal money to provide uh, developers of rental housing projects with below market rate loans. Okay, so if you're a developer today and you're going to build 100 units of rental somewhere, provided that you meet certain criteria, they'll give you a loan that's got a 50-year amortization on it mm-hmm. that covers close to 95% of your costs at the, equal to the 10-year bond rate. So what that means is you can get a loan for, with a 50-year amortization covering all your costs at 3% to incent developers to build rental projects. So that feels Inherently, that feels good, right? We're stimulating the production of housing. So what I would argue is that we need to, what if we redirected those monies rather than to the, uh, the developer of rental assets, rather than spending $100 million to do that, what if we fractionalized that and gave that to individual homeowners that are, hard, that are having a difficult time buying? So just some quick math on that. $100 million investment would build about 150, 160, would, would cause a developer to build about 150, 160 rental units. Yeah, that's good. But if you gave 50-year loans on the deposits for clients of yours or clients of ours to help them get into the housing market, because as we talked about before, it's the downstroke and right, the deposit. Exactly. That's, the, that's the hurdle, right? Well, what if we gave school teachers and fire, you know, first responders and, and other people that we deemed you know, that are having a hard time coming up with that. What if we, what if we gave them a loan for that? Instead of building 150 units, you'd build like 550 units because you're leveraging that. Right. Right. So, so those are things that I'm interested in. Those are things that, that we at Magnum would like to help our clients find a way to, to create and advocate on their behalf with the federal government, provincial government, et cetera, to, to make that happen. If you took the $26 billion that CMHC has earmarked, for RCFI loans and assistance for developers to build rental housing. If you did that, and you, of course it would be impossible and it would be the wrong thing to do, but just for argument's sake, if you were to do that, that'd create 130,000 units of housing. I mean, it's, there's massive numbers. Anyway, so are we spending, we're we're putting a lot of money into housing right now, but are we putting it in the right areas? 
And I would argue that we as a society are far better off. We have more and more people who own housing than rent it. Because if you have more and more people that are renters, generationally, you'll become like Europe where people don't own a lot, Mm -hmm. right? And they're beholden to their landlord. And that's, I think that's generally not a good thing. I'm a landlord. I have friends who are landlords. I have friends who are developers that own hundreds and thousands of units who are genuinely good people who you'd be fortunate to have as your landlord. But we as a society should have more people own housing, not less. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to use that very big carrot, I'd love to, you know, have more healthy debate about how we deploy those, those dollars into the, into the marketplace. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, but uh, Daryl, we do have uh, lots to think about. Yeah, no kidding. And and maybe that means that, um, you know, the nurses and the firefighters and police officers and everyone don't have to drive in from hope, Yeah, uh, you know, and and do a 12 hour shift and then drive home. So, well, we do have this segment. We we have to leave on a lighthearted note here. So yeah, the five wire, if you can stick around for that, the five wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey. That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. First of all, one book that you've read recently that you'd recommend? Uh, It's off the grid. Uh, It's called Unreasonable Hospitality. It was recommended on, Simon Sinek recommended on his podcast. It's about the guy that was brought in to run what ultimately became the best restaurant in the world called 11 Madison Park in New York. And, And so we at Magnum are, well, we're kind of in the, well, we are absolutely in the service business. And, you know, I was a, in previous lives, I was a, a busboy and a waiter and a bellhop and a, and a valet and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, I find, that, you know, that, that sort of provision of service and hospitality, something that's certainly relevant to our business at Magnum, to make sure that we're taking care of the people we need to take care of. And uh, anyway, it, it was excellent. It's a book about hospitality. It's not a book about the restaurant business. Um, anyway, that was pretty good. That's huh. a great one. Good one. Um, what's that book on the Four Seasons? That was another mm. one. That, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I never read it, but. Right. Yeah, but it's, it's the same idea. It's, 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 it's funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other one, I uh, I read it years and years ago, uh, but I dusted off six months ago in sort of preparation for working with uh, with George and the Magnum team, and that was good to great. Right. Oh, yeah. Like it's worth a read every couple of years. Every I've never heard everybody when they bring up that book, everybody's like, "Oh my god, that's that's yeah. a must." Good that's is a, the enemy of great in all areas of our life, right? Yeah, and in business. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna can I? I I'm just interested. I call an audible. This is an old five wire question. One piece of advice you'd give your 18 year old self. 18 year old self, <laughs> or 20, 20, 23 year old self. Party more. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, sorry. Keep it professional. Um, 18 year old self. Gosh, I don't know. You know, I, I, uh, I look back on my late, you know, high school years and sort of college years pretty favorably, pretty proudly. I was, I was fortunate. I made some, I made, I didn't make too many bad decisions. What? So, so sorry. I'm uh, uh, not to say that I'm 
<laughs> I haven't made mistakes in my life because I certainly have. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I would tell another 18-year-old, like, the value of work is incredibly important in your early formative years. And if I look back at when I was in school and when I was getting out of school and, you know, my early 20s, I, I, I think I generally worked harder than most people. And that mm. worked. And that worked well for me. But that's a really, you know, obvious kind of cliche thing to say. I don't know. Yeah, but a lot of people don't do it. It's worth repeating. In the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Hmm. I get up way earlier than I used to. So my circadian rhythm gets me up at six now, whereas it used to get me up at seven, seven fifteen. So, and that's not that early for a lot of people. But um, I was always jealous of people that could like that wake up at five o'clock yeah, and have yeah. an extra two hours in the day. I'm like, geez, I could do a lot with that. But I have found that I've found. I, I, sorry, yeah, I don't sleep less. I do sleep better now than I used to, um, and that allows me to start my day earlier. And I feel I have way more energy in the morning. Is it like, have you just been more focused on sleep hygiene or what? what What's what? sleep hygiene? Like, I've never heard that either. What the hell is that? Oh, come on. <laughs> you guys even listen to health podcasts? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Just no. me? Okay. Uh, no, but like taking care of your, like, so like being conscious of your sleep, turning off screens uh, okay. two hours totally. before, uh, setting up, like making sure you got blackout curtains is another thing. I can sleep anywhere. Like if we, if, you know, as a you know, younger person going camping or like I could generally fall asleep anywhere, anytime. And it bothers my wife to no end that uh, I can put my head on the pillow and be snoring in like literally like two minutes. But I would wake up and I'd be a light sleeper. Um, so have I focused on sleep hygiene? No, but I think I am more relaxed when I'm getting into a sleep state for sure. Do you track your sleep? No, I don't. Probably should. Matt's the only one in this room that tracks his I sleep. I track my sleep. Yeah. You track your sleep and you don't know about sleep hygiene? No, yeah, I know. This is a, I, it's just because I got this watch. Uh, but I'm now I'm obsessed with all the data. I don't do anything about it. I but. cannot have an Apple Watch because I have I have undiagnosed adult ADHD. And right. I think that I think if I had that, I would be I, I wouldn't be able to be in the moment. Like my phone is over there and it's upside down and I'm not looking at it. Yeah. If I had that on here, I think I would be inclined to look it's at it. Telling me to stand up. Really? See? Yeah, literally. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. No thanks. Uh, favorite band or music? So I know you ask this all the time. And so this is going to sound so cheesy. And so if I have any friends or family members that listen to this, they're going to go, oh, God. Have you heard of a band called The Sellouts? Have you ever heard of them? Were they like a punk rock band? <laughs> no, no. So three years ago, me and my buddy Derek Boza started a band called The Sellouts. Oh, okay. oh no. Yeah, so they're my favorite band right now. So we do like, 80s rock, U2, Mellencamp, White Snake. Uh, what else do we do? God, so uh, they Tom are a Petty. rock band. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> no one's ever heard of them. Um, but you do play yeah, in yeah. front of. We do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah. Anyway, so so I don't have a favorite band. It's impossible. I've I've got a very eclectic taste in music. I, what I, instrument I, do you play? I sing. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Ferreira, he sings too, but he's not allowed in our band because he's pretty good. So he don't chat on me. Michael Ferrer? Yeah, yeah, he's got a pretty good voice. <laughs> really? Yeah. He's so, okay, let yeah, me I just, I, this is, I can uh, see it. This is still a bunch of has, off, bunch yeah. of has-beens and never worse. Yeah. <laughs> so who's in this band? This is Well, our band is me, <laughs> a guy named Derek Boza, yeah. uh, who is uh, Aquila Developments, great guy, one of my best friends. Uh, Pete Reisner, you know yeah, Pete? Yeah, I know okay, Pete. Reisner yeah, Media, Pete, used to be with the Vancouver Sun. What does Pete play? He plays keyboards and sings. He used to be in a real band. Like they used to charge. Well, we charged too, but it's usually charity gigs. But he, uh, 
Yeah, he's a real musician. Charge. I was like, what does charge mean? Charge for tickets. Uh, Yeah, Pete Reisner, uh, Brad Ricketts. He works with BC Gas. And is it called BC Gas? No, what's it called? Uh, Yeah, BC Gas. Terrison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Barry Way, who's an architect in town. So we all got together to do this UDI thing. Sorry, put a band together of people that were in the business so that we could perform at this UDI charity thing they do every year. So we've done that in the last few years. So that's, right. And this is, there's the the lawyer band uh, thing. Well, uh, Stavel, Stavel, yeah. oh, what's that? There's a lawyer, I think it's at the Commodore it, where they do some charity lawyer okay. band. You have to have yeah. three Just lawyers in each band. A bunch of lawyers covering Rage Against Machine. It's oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Sounds great. <laughs> so so Stavel, he's in the band, like he plays, right. he he plays played bass. As a he's kid, pretty think, good. Right? Like yeah. He's got like 100 guitars or something or bass. Right. Uh, Steve Jedrichich. Jedrichich. Do you know Steve? No. He's kind of like the Brett Favre. Everyone calls yeah. his name Brett Favre. <laughs> Steve Jed, whatever. Uh, and a bunch of other people I'm forgetting about that. Uh, anyway, whatever. We digress. Holy. I have to get uh, Michael Ferrer to carry a tune next time. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> uh, last, last but not least, something you have purchased for under $1,500 that has changed your life in the last few years. That's a big question, right? Change your life? I think you're going for like a drama point. Like a yeah. big, uh, or, or positive Okay, so, 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 okay. Positive impact in my life. Uh, we bought tickets as a family to go see Luke Combs last week. I oh, like Combs, I was there. Right? Adam yeah, was there. It's pretty good, right? I I never heard, had heard of him, but uh, I was the only one in the really. At, at Did you like place. it? So I'm not really a new country guy. I okay. like a lot of old country, but okay. uh, our our friend Corey Wright uh, got a box because his office okay. loves Luke Combs, and uh, Corey's a big fan. Okay, so yeah, the crowd was yeah, I wild. Thought it was great. What was great about it? Uh, was not the concert. It was the fact that my wife and I went with our two kids and, and, and another, and some other family friends of ours. And, you know, we had pizza and beer at our place before and, and, and hung out with our kids that night. It was pretty awesome. It's awesome. Like we were talking earlier about the next stage. Like I can, and my wife and I kind of looked over and our kids are dancing together and, you know, they had a couple of beers, uh, and, uh, Sorry, my daughter had a beer. My son didn't. <laughs> yeah. He may have taken some out of my daughter. Anyway, uh, and that moment was pretty cool. So that was like twelve hundred bucks. Well, very well spent for us. That was a monumental wow. moment. Yeah. Luke Combs suggests that you don't have to be a, a interesting looking band. I don't know the yeah. best way to frame this, but he's a regular looking guy. Yes. Yes. As someone that carries a little bit of belly fat myself, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I was say, it's given everybody no, no, in this room. No, hope. he's not. Like, yeah, totally. Uh, it, yeah, and all of his supporting, like they weren't. Yeah, they weren't glam at it's all, like, right? It's like the average age is probably like I'm guessing forty, maybe more, Jeez, maybe that older. Jeez, that old day. Well, but but well, solid musicians, right? They were great. Like, I'm just thinking. I mean, that would never pass in a rock no, band, right? No, no. no. Yeah, the tighter the pants, the skinnier the band, right? Right. <laughs> Motley Crue. <laughs> Daryl, how can people find out more about what you're up to and, uh, of course, Magnum Projects? Uh, my email is daryl at magnumprojects.ca and uh, happy to, if anybody wants to get together and talk about the business and and uh, how we might be able to help, we'd obviously love to do that. And uh, I also spend a fair amount of my time meeting with people who are young in the business and, and want to hear some sort of some war stories and I'm happy to do that. And I spend a fair amount of my time doing that too. So I'm quite positive. Some, yeah. some listeners will take we'll, you up we'll on that. To, we'll have to have you back for more war stories. If you ever have mm-hmm. time. Cool. That was fun. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you very Thanks, much. Guys. So 
there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Daryl Simpson, partner at Magnum Projects. Man, you're yawning over there. Does that have anything to do with that? Like my, su- my sleep this, hygiene's off. I was going to say it was like the, the burrito that was like a size oh, of a yeah. newborn that you ate. That was like Here's a seven pound okay, burrito. Hold on. This is what I was thinking about. I did. I, I, I don't even know. It's a place on Camby. Yeah. I got here. Uh, we talked to Daryl. I got here five minutes before. I hadn't eaten all day. I was sprinting. I and I was going to punch that thing. I was going to get Uncle Fatty's, but. Yeah. But, but now you're just Uncle Fatty. <laughs> but here's the but thing. But here's the thing. I didn't want to. I was like, I can't have a piece of pizza for lunch. Like, I'm trying to stay away from that. I was like, I can't do a uh, salad or something. Been a good alter, a nice healthy alternative compared to that burrito. So the funny thing is, I didn't want pizza last week in a similar situation. I got samosas, and Sonia from our team was yeah. like, "Oh my god, the amount of grease you're eating! This is so yeah. gross." And I said, "I didn't want to get pizza." Pizza. She said, "That would have been a healthy option." Today, I got that 18 pound. It was like a baby. It was, yeah, no, it was, it was like, it was, it was the amount huge. of guacamole in that thing. Right, it's like I had three avocados for lunch. I'm surprised as well. you didn't bite your tongue off. That was a, <laughs> you, you also ate it like as if it was your last meal. Anyways, Matt, that was a fantastic <laughs> conversation. Couple things I want to mention: Pete Reisner on keys. That's uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Michael the, Ferreira also has as things the like man. a bird. Yeah. Eh? Who knew? These are, uh, I know this is, this is why people keep coming back to the Vancouver real estate <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Anyways, I'm, uh, looking forward to getting, hopefully getting the invite to one of these, uh, bands. Yeah. But, no kidding. Uh, or concerts, I should say. But yeah. Anyways, Matt, what else do we got for the day? What else do we have? Adam, we have Vancouver real estate podcast.com. This is our new website. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Way more user-friendly. You can search the back catalog. You can find exactly what you're interested in. In instead of combing through the whole archive uh, and listening to each episode, which I would recommend as well. A lot of people are using this site, a lot of positive feedback. We have the Live Wire. This is our weekly newsletter that goes out. Uh, it has VIP pre sale access. It has what's being on both shows, the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast and the Commercial Podcast, Deal of the Month, Stats Before Anyone Else, different types of stats. There's no reason you shouldn't be on the Live Wire. And of course, Adam, we have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available on our site over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You just click buy with us. Buy with us, yeah. Yeah, and, and really the best thing about it is not only can you set up a custom search to monitor whatever part of the market that you're, that you want to monitor. Also, you get sold prices in real time. So you're seeing what stuff's listed at versus what it's selling. This is the time you want to be tracking that. The market, as we just talked about in this episode, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting it's moment. Very, it's, it's like week to week right now, but lots of flurries of activity and then some some soft spots. And uh, I got to say, I was in two multiple offer situations last night with two completely different outcomes on great properties. So you really just don't know where things are going to land these days. It's a, it's a tricky it's it's well, a tricky some market. Some surprises right? out there. Some surprises. So you want to be on this research tool. You want to be monitoring. And yeah, it's the best way to find a deal. It's also a great way to track an area if you have a property that you're thinking of selling. So uh, we can set something up geographically, either for your building or close to your uh, residence uh, within kind of a, call it a few 
kilometer radius. 100%. If you want to talk about that or anything else real estate related, give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We'll have a great week, guys. We're back with another fantastic episode uh, this upcoming week. And uh, yeah. We're June. We're hitting June. I can't believe this. I feel like honestly, I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like it was the New Year weeks ago, and now we're middle of the year. Yeah. No, it's it's all it's all happened quick. I feel like I signed up to the uh, a run that I'm doing in two days. Oh yeah, I signed up for that January first, January second. I feel like it was at a, a moment of optimism. It was this pre- year, and now it's actually here, which I never thought it would arrive. Anyway, it was, it was pre eight pound burritos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyways, you'll you'll be carb loaded. Take care. Have a good week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.